Welcome to the Right Brain Music Podcast, presented by Right Brain Records. I'm Scott, and I thank you for joining us. In this episode, we're doing a deep dive into the world of the bass, that really big instrument that gets a really small amount of attention. Bassists often serve as anchors for musical groups. As leaders, they're usually hiding in plain sight. They can be asked to hold the rhythm, define the harmony, support soloists, and serve as soloists themselves, sometimes all at once. Basis may not crave attention, but today we will give that to two of the best. We'll hang out with Michael Taylor and Matt Smiley, incredibly versatile bass players from opposite sides of the U.S. They've each performed a wide range of music, from straight-up jazz to rock to folk and the fringes of free improvisation. We'll explore the bassist headspace and learn how they approach this ubiquitous yet arcane role. Mike Taylor has been a fixture in the Philadelphia music scene for decades. Among many other things, he's been a big part of Right Brain Records projects of Edge City and Channel Collective, and also released a duo album with legendary saxophonist Jack Wright. Matt Smiley plays a similar role in the Denver music community. He's contributed to many recordings, including Right Brain Records artist Raka Trio, and two upcoming albums by the quartet Cepha Loco. He recently released an album of original solo compositions on the bass. We're going to hear generous portions of all of this. So without further ado, let's meet Mike and Matt in that order. How I started playing bass was I started playing later in life, around 19. Friends of mine had come into some money, and they were debating on buying a drum set or a BMX bike. And the other guy was like, well, I have a keyboard, so you should buy drums. And then Michael played bass. And I had never played bass in my life. I had only tried to play trumpet in like fourth grade and was terrible at it. I tried to play piano. Eh. My teacher was the worst, and I didn't really learn anything there. So then somehow I convinced my mom to buy me this little short-scale CMI bass for like 40 bucks or something like that. Immediately broke it because I didn't know how to change strings. So I was like jamming a screwdriver in the machine heads, <laughs> stripped them out, destroyed that, then had to go back and earn some money to go buy an actual bass. But I immediately fell in love with it because I don't know, I've thought about this for 30 years. It's like why it appeals to me so much more than the other two instruments I tried to play. Sometimes I think it's like how my ear works. Like I have a deeper voice. So that leads me to believe like I hear things naturally in lower frequencies, but you know, again, just in a nutshell, getting into it, I like, I just like almost immediately fell in love with the electric bass. I started going to Bucks County Community College and had a great teacher there. 
and uh, he convinced me. I was only playing electric at that point, and he convinced me to just, uh, get on the upright. And he said, if you learn how to play, you know, electric, fretless, five string, upright, you'll work the rest of your life. Besides, like certain personal decisions I've made, he was pretty much right. Yeah, so I was playing um, in middle school, uh, drum set, guitar, and got to high school and joined a rock band that already had three guitar players. And being the youngest member of the band, I just was kind of told, well, if you want to play in this band, we need a bass player. So I borrowed, you know, a four string fretted electric bass from school and started playing bass to play in this rock band and I was not a very good drummer. And so I decided to kind of switch over to playing upright bass, kind of, again, fell in love with that instrument as well. And so for a while was just trying to kind of double on both electric and upright bass. Sometimes, you know, focusing more on one one over the other instrument over the years. That's interesting to me, Matt, because what I'm hearing you say is like, you vacillate between playing upright and then electric and then upright and then electric. Is that what I'm hearing you say? That's what I do too. It's like, I, I, I mean, it, 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 the cycle lasts years. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just like, you know, I play upright for, you know, six years and then I'm like, yeah, I still remember the electric. I can do all kinds of stuff on that that I can on the upright. Then I swing back to the electric and I play that for four years. And then it's like, oh, I miss my upright and then I'll go back. So it's yeah. fascinating to me that you have the same experience. Yeah, yeah. And now as I've gotten older, it's even like shorter cycles of like six to eight months of the year, mostly upright, and then four or five months out of the year, mostly electric. And and again, just kind of switching back and forth. Sure. And I, I mean, to me, it depends on, on the work you're doing at the time. Totally. You totally. know what I mean? If you're, like, if you're in one kind of band, it requires a, a specific sound, or at least ideally. So yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Sometimes I feel more comfortable on upright, but because I started on electric bass and started on guitar, they both kind of have a certain comfort and familiarity. But there's obviously big differences of going from like a fretted instrument to like playing a lot of upright bass with a bow. I mean, those that's about as different as it gets is, is going from the fretted thing to going to a fretless instrument and specifically using a bow where they feel very, very different. For me, what makes me able to transition back and forth is because I like all kinds of music. I don't just like jazz. I studied jazz, but I like metal. I like, you know, Brazilian music. I like, you know, I I played in a Cuban band for a while. I, I, I like, I like everything. So, that's what helps me flip back and forth is just keeping your ears open to all kinds of different music.
in certain bands and certain contexts, especially the more musicians that are in a group, typically, I keep trying as I get older to play more simply and to just like, just try to be really rock solid with whatever's going on to really accompany. But then again, depending on if it's a smaller group of people and if it's maybe more of an improvisational setup, then I do think a little bit more collective improv, more soloistically, Typically, I, I have like a five-piece band I've been playing off and on with for a decade. And my approach with that group usually is if I don't play a single bass solo the whole gig or, or recording session, that's not a problem because it's all about wanting to get the other people featured. But if I have like a duo or a trio or something like that, that's a little bit more open and bare bones, then I, I have more of a comfort level to kind of try to jump in as like a soloist. But I think typically it, as far as um, just trying to get work, like in Colorado uh, as a bass player, I really just go back to like, what is the simplest way I can try to accompany the situation so that people can really have something to latch onto. The bottom line is our job is we are bridging the gap between rhythm and harmony. And uh, like the drummer friends I talk to all the time, you know, they like to think that they're great musicians. I'm like, yeah, okay, can you play a major scale? Do you know all the modes? No, <laughs> I always say that stuff jokingly. But um, primarily it's, you know, we're the, we're the glue. You know, that's how I see the bass's role. You know, you do whatever you have to do and then could mean play as intricately as you can or play as simply as you can just do whatever's necessary to bring all the musicians that you're playing with together to make a cohesive sound Also do enough kind of creative open improv gigs where I'm gonna have plenty of space to just play a ton of notes and play a bunch of noise and and get that out that you know I, I can go yeah months just playing you know the the most bare bones rhythm section bass playing out there and be perfectly happy that's super interesting Matt because it's like some of the discussions I've had with some projects I've been working on during the pandemic, one of our core philosophies was somebody's got to stay at home. Yeah. So if the drummer is just going to just create a pocket, that frees me up to do, you know, more intricate things, play with the rhythm more, you know, do polyrhythms against what he, what uh, he or she is doing. Or it could be the saxophonist just starts playing ostinatos and the drummer and I can go crazy. 
So it's just like somebody's got to be at home. You can switch out the roles throughout a tune or a composition or an improv. Yeah, and as a good example, I used to work with a singer who played piano uh, and we did a mix of like jazz and pop and originals and just a mix of stuff. But at a certain point, it actually kind of became more that just because of their style of playing where they were more the anchor and I was kind of more the sort of free soloist um, just because they were so focused on, you know, accompanying their their voice <laughs> that I could do like more Arco stuff or I could play more freely. Um but it also, yeah, like you said, it comes down to that awareness of what does the situation require, and and if somebody's really just in the in the other part of the band, just kind of holding it down and and keeping the foundation there, then it gives us yeah more freedom to kind of come out because somebody's got to do that too. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think I mean unless we're talking about like straight like weirdo jazz improv. Sure somebody staying at home makes the music more accessible for the audience too because a lot of times you know unless they're into that kind of music where everyone's sort of freewheeling uh if if somebody is you know again locking it in then that gives you know something for the audience to latch onto, it's it's a gateway into like the the other more intricate things that the other musicians may be playing. So that's maybe the most important part of it to me, because you can't play music without the audience. Like you need to get that positive feedback loop going between the band and the audience, where you're playing your your butts off, and then they pick up on it and start getting into it, and then you can feel their energy, and you play harder and more, and then it's like. Again, that creates a positive feedback loop. subject of open improv sessions and that's kind of how I know both of you that you can do that and not everyone can not everyone's comfortable there and you but you all both play a lot of different types of music some's very structured and then on this other extreme we have sometimes no structure at all I'm interested in your thoughts how do you approach a session like that I, I've been really fortunate it's been about six or seven years now. I've been working with this great drummer, Ron Coulter, who lives up in um, Casper, Wyoming. When we first started playing together, he had this really nice arts grant that he had put together to bring out all these guest artists to um, Wyoming, Colorado area. And kind of from the downbeat of playing with Ron, 95% of the stuff we do is just show up and play. And there's no tunes and there's no talking about what we do, just get out instruments and play. And there's been, as I mentioned before, a lot of playing with somebody 
and then going back and checking out the recording and trying to kind of see if the two things are lining up. Like, am I hearing what's coming out, you know, on the recording? And then just kind of self-editing session after session after session where I hope that I'm playing in such a way that after the fact I can be like, okay, yeah, that, that's what I meant to do. That's what I'm hearing. I have just certain things with open playing where, as an example, when I was younger, I used to do more probably extended technique and probably more um, prepared stuff with like sticking stuff in the strings and, and using extra like kind of percussion. And then over time I realized I'm, I wasn't really good at dialing those sounds in personally. Uh, and so I kind of got more into a minimal approach of just trying to work like pizzicato and arco in my open and free playing. Um, and sometimes it's even a thing if I, if I know I'm doing like an hour set with a trio or a quartet, I'll even try to tell myself, stay in one area as long as I can. Like, like stay pizzicato as long as I can until I run out of ideas and then pick up a bow or, or vice versa. You know, stick with one sound world and really try not to jump around too much. I know I'm already an abstract enough bass player that if I try to imitate what somebody else is doing in the band, it already automatically is going through my own filter. So I do try to imitate knowing that it's not going to be anything close to what they're playing, but it's at least like aesthetically, you know, in the ballpark. So, so there's a lot of conscious listening. And even in a trio, sometimes I'll, I'll really focus on one of the musicians in the trio as opposed to the other and, and kind of oscillate back and forth. Um, and, and I'm lucky enough that I play with enough people who really specialize in open music that there's always these cross signals of, well, I'm listening to them, they're listening to both of us, the other person might not be listening to anyone at all in the moment, you know, it's <laughs> kind of, it, but it all works. Yeah. comes from the first couple of bands I was in where there were no rules we were just playing for fun we were all completely uneducated musicians and we just would go into a garage and just make noise and like over time some structures came out but we would literally just get together and you know, put your fingers on the strings or on the drums or on the keyboard and see what happens and some of it worked and some of it didn't but over time you start learning 
you know, your own proclivities or I don't know if that's the right word for it, but like the things you're comfortable with the most and how, well, I mean, that is sort of to Matt's point, like how your brain works, how your filter works is the word he used. And then being situationally aware. But I think the origins of it really do go back to before I went to school and was in a more structured environment, there were no rules and we just made them up on our own. to listen to some improvised music that features Matt and Mike and have some discussion. First up is Rock a Trio with trumpeter Hugh Reagan and Matt Smiley on bass. This is Resistance. any thoughts on this yeah i think matt's stealing some of my ideas (laughs) (laughs) 
No, there were a couple of interesting techniques that I heard in there, like particularly like I, I don't know what you call it, but uh, when you're playing Arco and you start like kind of dragging your string, not like perpendicular, but like you kind of create, you can like play the bow on an angle or slide it on the string, and you can pull all these overtones out. Oh I yeah, I'm I heard, all about it, <laughs> dude. I do that all the time. I've done that for some Scots recordings as well. I loved it. I thought it was really cool. Man, thanks. So we had already done at least one session before that with this Rocca Trio. And that's just the name of an Italian restaurant that's in Casper, Wyoming. And it's like one of the only places to eat. <laughs> so we just named, uh, named the group after the restaurant. But yeah, we had done like a trio session with Ron and Alex on guitar. And then sometime within the year of that, we decided, oh, well, let's do a session with that group plus Hugh. And and I mostly remember, I think we did some concerts, but that it was like a two day recording session, recording for several hours on end. And um, Hugh, uh, you know, he replaced Lester Bowie in the Art Ensemble of Chicago. And he's been playing with Roscoe Mitchell since at least the 80s. He's been playing with Anthony Braxton since the 70s. But um, I, I had been playing with Hugh off and on for a decade. And so I was probably the most comfortable with Hugh. And kind of funny enough, one of the main things I remember from the session was I think the other guys were a little like less sure of themselves going into it just because they, they didn't know him as well and they hadn't like played with him as much. And so I'm like in general on those recordings, like maybe a little more aggressive than normal. Uh, but, but purely because, um, I just had a really good relationship with you and kind of was like trying to, you know, get, get some stuff going in different directions. But it, it was a great session, very informal, but we got a, a ton of music tracked and I was really happy with how the session went. Next up is a song called Schiefgeist by Edge City Collective with Mike Taylor on bass. Continuing our brass theme, this also features trumpet player Bart Miltenberger. Thank you. 
man, again, it's like I, I feel like I'm listening to myself. Like uh, the the pits approach and the space are are all these things I think about. And I don't know, yeah, Mike, if you're like a big Charlie Hayden fan or huge Charlie yeah. Hayden fan. So like, you know, that's one of my first thoughts is like Don Cherry and Charlie Hayden. And he's one of my, you know, number one guys too. So just that conscious, like I can almost hear you listening, you know, for your times to to accompany and and fill the space. It kind of, yeah, reminded me also of Vade Mecum by uh, Bill Dixon, where it's Bill Dixon on trumpet with um, Barry Guy and William Parker and Tony Oxley brassy Harmon mute trumpet with this really nice bass underneath. But yeah, man, really enjoyed it. Thank you, Mike. That, so that was uh, a few years ago that you recorded <laughs> that. What are your, what are your thoughts looking way back on it? Uh, well, first of all, I don't remember that session at all. No, I mean, I do, but it's, it was the first thing I thought of Scott was that version is the 20th anniversary <laughs> edition like wow that was that long ago wow yeah i don't know i think matt qualified it pretty well i mean i'm really hard on myself i really just like i would say 90 percent of the recordings i've done and not just for right brain or, or edge city collective like for other groups i listen back and i'm like oh what were you thinking um but that particular track i, I think they bart do a really nice job of you know like matt said like giving each other space, waiting to find that space to jump in and and apply your idea. And then I also really like the arc of it too, because it starts off very spacious. And then when Bart's second track comes in and there and he's interweaving with himself, you know, creating some kind of crazy counterpoint, that's where it feels like the two of us just keep, you know, pushing the intensity just a little bit just like every you know just arbitrarily every like 10 seconds we're just like pushing it a little bit more now we'll hear libera a piece from the album cryptish gasa by jack wright and michael taylor Thank mm-hmm. you. 
first thought is it has one of my favorite things with more open improvised music where there's moments of I don't know who's making what sound or how those sounds are being made and I love that quality of it um so I, I wanted to ask you Mike like yeah how you're getting that sound and if there's like a like something in the strings or it's something with your left hand but but it's it sounds really great and I just like how much between what you and Jack are doing blends so well together, even though bass and sax are obviously such completely different instruments. Well, I mean, from a technical standpoint, if I recall correctly, remember we were talking about like sort of extended techniques and different ways you can do, uh, you know, uh, manipulate the bow. I was just playing as close to the bridge, if not on top of the bridge. That's how I was getting all those like false harmonics. Uh, but in terms of the overall overall approach to the record, Jack and I had never met each other once. I had no idea who he was. And Scott brought us in there. So that was sort of, I mean, I remember this. Like it was a big ears session for me because I didn't know the guy. I didn't know what he played. And quite frankly, like he was going to do what he did no matter what I did. Mm -hmm. So that goes back like almost full circle to us talking about like the bass role and whatnot. Like I had to find ways to let him do his thing, but still be underneath. And well, I was at that point, like, like, I guess from a register standpoint, I was on top of him. But, uh, just to find ways to uh, to compliment what Jack was going to do because he just does his thing and that's it. So, uh, but thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Can, can yeah. I quickly give a little Jack Wright uh, story? So he was my, actually my last gig before the pandemic. And same thing, I went into it. I didn't really know his music. I knew he played saxophone, but also, you know, some piano and some other things. And I was excited about him because I'd heard all these great things. And so I show up to play with him and with a drummer friend of mine who will not be named and, uh, <laughs> uh, and not Ron. And we basically start playing and my the drummer I was with was just hardcore like free jazz mode. Everything was like kind of like that sort of Elvin Jones, late Coltrane sort of like style of drumming for the entire gig. And I kind of remember being like, well, this is cool. And, and I have to go with it because it's such a strong thing. Like I can't really play against it. And, and Jack did his thing. And then, and then I remember like, you know, by the end of the, the gig being like, okay, that felt pretty good. And Jack sort of like, I could tell something was a little up and he comes up to us and was like, well, I, I that's not really what I kind of wanted to do. Like he basically was like, you guys played free jazz, but I like to play free improv, you know, with more space and more sounds. Um, and so I felt like I learned like a really good lesson from that, even though I, there wasn't really anything I could do in the moment, just sort of, you know, stuck in the circumstance. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like as a bass player, it's like you you have one foot on two different canoes and you're going down the river and you're trying to keep them together. You know? 100%. Because yeah, they yeah. Can, like drift off and you're like, okay. It's, again, that's perfect. Like it's, it's a perfect anecdote about everything we're talking about, like as the role of the bass player. Thank <laughs> you. 
Let's listen to another. This is Bark Letter by Matt Smiley from his album titled Solo. takeaway having just met Matt I see so many similarities in our approach to improv you were doing like just a different version of like stuff that I was doing with the bow where you're just like evoking all these overtones and these false harmonics and it's just like you know it's it's such a unique way to play that a lot of bass players dare that's that's a road they dare not travel and I, I I think that that's one of the fascinating things about that particular piece is it's got like an aggressiveness to it and it also has like these atypical sounds that are getting evoked from the instrument so i thought it was fascinating man thanks matt it was really hard for me to pick one song to highlight from your solo album because there's such variety on there all solo bass pieces and it it's really kind of rare to let the instrument be that exposed and just let it be itself kind of unadorned with other things i thought it was a very courageous beautiful album Before we let Matt and Mike go, we're doing a drill. I'll fire off names of bass players, and they'll give their first thoughts in a few words. Ron Carter. Bass player's bass player. Angry. We heard this name earlier. Charlie Hayden. Natural. Melody singing. Charles Mingus. Angry and... (laughs) Scary. Dave Holland. Masterful. Because I just met him a few weeks ago, generous. Oh, nice. John Paul Jones. I'm going one word over. Greatest of all time. 
I would just say uh, undersung. Chris Squire. One of the great prog players. Rickenbacker. For our Canadian listeners, Getty Lee. These questions are not fair. <laughs> to have three, three uh, words. Totally awesome. Almost like uncategorizable in a good like, way. I like that. Les Claypool. Wall of sound. <laughs> uh, Trevor Dunn. Mr. Bungle. Just saw him a few weeks ago. <laughs> oh, all right, so I'll give you a real word that's more descriptive other than the band. Versatile. One of my favorites that's a little uh, different, um, uh, O'Teal Burbridge. Uh, who's that? Oh, man, he played in uh, Colonel Bruce Hampton's Aquarium Rescue Unit. Oh, yeah. Almond Brothers, now he tours with the Grateful Dead jam bands i don't always go to you know exactly it's a it's a totally yeah uh, uh, mm-hmm. different style bass player yeah gotta be gotta be in the mood for that i think we're missing an obvious one but uh paul mccartney most melodic rock player totally agree. And, and again that and it's like so hard to pair it's it impossible because <laughs> he's yeah more universal one more round. Slam Stewart. Yeah. All right. I was doing some research on him. One of the great founders of jazz. Paul Chambers. Drunk with his face in a bowl of spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> That's an anecdote from Miles' book. No where he was, so, yeah, he was so drunk, they were at a diner. And he just passed out with his face in a bowl of spaghetti. <laughs> But as a bass player, again, it, uh, just iconoclast. That's the word I'd say. The more I transcribe and dig into his music, I, he's the Charlie Parker of bass. That's bebop right there. Mm-hmm. been listening to the words and music of bassists Matt Smiley and Michael Taylor. To learn more about them, link to their music, and get today's playlist, see the blog post for this episode at rightbrainrecords.com blog.
been listening to the Right Brain Music Podcast, presented by Right Brain Records. You can visit us at rightbrainrecords.com. Farewell for now. Join us next time. Thank <laughs> you.